It's only second week of the summer and there's already been a dead fish in the pool. We were doing an experiment. We were trying to get it back alive. That wasn't my and, idea. And water balloons thrown at tourists? You can't fuck with tourists. They didn't tip us. Are you serious? No. Oh my God, this is unacceptable. I failed as a mother, Mooney. You've disgraced me. Harley. Yeah, Mom, you're a disgrace. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is episode 78, as I looked around. Yeah, we both had to check. (laughs) Luckily, I have the page out showing that it is episode 78. We were talking about 76 earlier, and I was like, I wanted to say 76. Tom, I have a question for you. Yeah, Mario. Are you a private girl in the public world? I sure am. Sure am. Before we check, before we get to that, um, and before we open our beers, actually, we'll actually let's open these beers first, and then we'll we'll raise before we take a sip. We'll do a little toast. We're gonna do a toast. We'll do a toast, Mario. Then then we'll get into it. And we'll we'll throw down. Yeah, (laughs) we're gonna fight on air. What are we? What what is this, Mario? I don't know. We just got this once again. We uh forgot beers. (laughs) Um. In, yes. the, in the process of, of watching movies before the movie starts. So <laughs> we rushed over to the local uh, new bottle shop, located only three blocks from, mm-hmm. from me. This is Half Full Brewery out of Stamford, Connecticut. 6.5% uh, coffee porter. It's a cold brew coffee porter. Uh, it's ale with coffee added from Rise Brewing Co., which mm. I guess Rise Brewing Co. maybe is a... Well, Rise Brewing Co. I is think also is Stanford. a... Is Stanford half yep. full might not actually be out of Stanford then half full might be out, out somewhere else. It's definitely a Connecticut brewery. I know that. Um, sorry, half full. If if you just want to let us know where you're from, yeah, it's Stanford. We're usually eh? it's Stanford. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So Rise Brewing Company uh, cold brew coffee. So this is a coffee porter. We haven't done a lot of coffee. I don't think we've done a lot of porters in general. We've done a lot of stouts. Yeah, we've porters. done the stouts, no porters. But you know, it's nearly the new year. Mm-hmm. Listen to this on the 29th. Three or four short days, it'll be the new year, 2019. Who knows what that will bring us? We don't know. Us? It'll bring us us. Well, yeah, hopefully. And a Pet Cemetery remake. Mm-hmm. And some uh, Netflix movie that has a lot of stars in it. It's like a horror movie. Dark it's Crystal? In February. I don't know. Dark, the Dark Crystal remake? No, I don't think so. Oh. Oh, yeah. All right, open it. Although I forgot that John Goodman Aliens movie. All right. Uh, before we take a sip, we just want to give a quick um, thank you to all of the people who have listened to us over the course of this podcast's existence. Uh, we officially have over a thousand listens, which seems really, really weird um, and low. But no, yeah. but I don't. That seems high to me. I don't know. Anything. And it's only off of SoundCloud too. We actually don't know. Where it's actually not to. true. It oh, actually it, aggregates it from everywhere. I found out how to figure okay. that out. Um, but thank you for listening and for continuing to listen, and we hope to bring... And from here, it's going to be exponential. Yeah, yeah. So um, It took us 26 episodes to get a thousand, or 25 episodes. 27, get, I think. 27 to get a thousand? Yeah. I guess it's actually not too bad. That's pretty good. I think that it's means, pretty good. That means 40 people are listening to us per... Right? And right? It's, a, it's a thousand listens. It's from so, several different countries. 40 people per, per episode. Lots of different states. It's really interesting. 
really it's, it's weird. I wouldn't think 40 people would, would want to listen to our opinion. Mm. But especially when we do bonus episodes about new movies, they really want to hear our they opinion. They do, then. yeah. Especially House that Jack built. So we're going to drink this for you, listeners. Especially the one from Norway. Do we have one from Norway? We do have one from Belgium, though. Oh, well, same country. Which is good. Wait, is he consistent? Are she consistent? I don't know. I no. think so. Well, um, I could check that out. But there is someone from Belgium that listens. So and if they listen to us consistently and they want to follow us on Twitter and send us a beer, we'll <laughs> yeah, throw a we'll Belgian throw a Belgian beer at us. Um, this is this is this is good. This tastes like a cold brew. I've never had a cold brew coffee. Mm. If this is what cold brew coffee tastes like, I don't really enjoy it. Mm. I don't dislike this, but kind of like it it's smooth it's kind of dull for me i don't know what's no it's got that nice it's got that about. nice bitter dryness in the back back of my throat no i mean it's the dryness the I dryness like. comes off as a little dull i guess for mm. me no I'm not gonna judge it i think it's doing what it's supposed to be doing but what it's doing i'm not a fan of mm. i also have regular coffee here too so which is <laughs> yeah, warm we can that um, all right, let's get down to it, Mario. We got a new movie to talk about this week. We do. It is uh, another William Defoe vehicle. Yeah, Aquaman. We're talking about Aquaman. <laughs> Only about everywhere. Aquaman. Yeah, um, William Defoe's everywhere. He gets nominated good. for an Oscar last year for some movie we're not going to talk about ever. Mm-mm. Not, not at all. At least not in the next like <laughs> half hour because we're going to talk about it a half hour from then. Well, that's going to be a long episode. Hopefully. Um, Vox Lux. All that matters is that you have an angle. I'm scared. Keep it simple. Uh, directed uh, by Brady Corbett, um, who directed 2015, I believe, Childhood of a Leader. Which I have not seen. You've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily because of the score for that movie, as well as the score for this movie, was done by the one and only, the great Scott Walker, who um, is a musician I, I love dearly. Um, so much so that I would see a movie just to hear his his score in it. How many... Has he done? Cause yeah, I was looking around. Done, I couldn't see a lot of scores he that he's done. Pola X, um, which is a kind of experimental film um, that came out, in, I think, in the early two thousands. Um, but that's a crazy. That's a crazy, or maybe the nineties. That's a that's a crazy film score. That's a crazy movie. Um, but it just it sounds just like all of Scott Walker's stuff, and it's excellent. I guess I can look at it as IMDb while you're talking about this film. Um, it tracks. Vox Lux tracks the career of uh, Celeste Montgomery, who is played at various points in the film by um, Raffi Cassidy when she's younger and Natalie Portman when she's older. And when I say younger, I mean 14. And when I say older, I mean 31. Um, Jude Law plays her manager. Stacey Martin plays her sister, Ellie. Um, Willem Dafoe, that we mentioned before, is the narrator of the movie who kind of swoops in occasionally to give us some backstory and also some political commentary and also some artistic commentary on the on the music of of Celeste who um becomes a pop star after 
writing a song um, that was inspired by her survival of a school shooting uh, that, you know, the movie is opens with that shooting. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a trip, man. Yeah. Well, first, before we talk about it, I think the one thing we should talk about the trip being, we both saw it at Criterion playing in one of their theater nine theater nine i've never been to theater nine it's my oh, first yeah. experience with the theater nine um i've been in theater eight and i thought that's what always what you were talking about when you said that Mm-mm. screening room no i saw blaze in theater nine too 35 seats yeah is, it, is that the I counted, yeah. Okay. uh four rows uh i don't know if blaze did blaze have trailers before it no this no, no. it literally shows a dvd I'll, I'll put this on instagram literally a blu-ray start screen mm-hmm. uh looks like a playstation 4 screen <laughs> And it just is, just like the guy looks around, starts it. Did he walk in and turn off the and, lights? Yeah, they always walk in. He walks in, turns on the lights. Yeah. I think he did some like he walked back to like check the sound too. Yeah, they actually had to, someone asked them to turn. I saw it with ten people, which is the most I saw I've it ever. With three. One I, of them fell asleep. Through. Yeah, so there you go. Which sounds like it might be what our opinion of it is, but we'll, we'll see. see. Um, someone actually got up to ask them to turn the volume up. Because it was very low. Was that, the, was that the drunk lady? It was very low in the beginning of the movie. No, it was someone else. Was that the old couple that hates going to New Haven theaters? No, they just they just hate me because for talking, I talk to the guy for talking that was during the, theater the silent credits. Yep. At and the I, end of the silent credits. Like oh. the very end of the silent credits. When it was rolling through like all the Sia songs. So that's another thing about this movie which I didn't mention. Scott Walker does the score, but Sia wrote all the like the pop songs. That Celeste Montgomery sings. And this um, movie's swimming movie. in pop songs. Yeah, um, more so than Star Is Born. And they're good. Po- and it's another movie, just like Blaze, and just like. And I feel like we just talked about this um, with something else, um, where it's a it's way more honest about how pop songs are created than A Star Is Born is. It's way more honest about how art is created than A Star Is Born is. Um, Any number of songs from this movie are on the short list for the best original song? I'm going to guess zero. Zero. But it's gonna, they're going to... Because there's like two to three good songs on the short list of best original song. The short list, by the way, for score and song are fucking horrendous. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, Mario, tell me what you think about this movie. I was waiting for you to say it first. Oh, you want me to tell you what I think? Uh, yeah, I'll hear you first. I, feel, I think the only reason I wanted to hear what you said first was because my thinking on this is cloudy... But also definitive with in that a chance I of meatballs. Didn't yuck. Cloudy with a chance that I didn't really like it. Okay. Um, where which I, is what I was going. It's because you just saw this today. I saw. I just got uh, out Thursday. of my screening screening two hours ago. I saw this on Saturday. Uh huh. Um, and I didn't know how I felt about it after, going afterwards. I was like, I think I like it. I don't know how much I liked it. I knew I really liked several parts of it, um, and I knew I didn't feel so strongly about other parts uh-huh. and i've let it simmer for a few days and uh i've reached the opinion that i really love this yeah i think that's the difference between you and me is i don't love any part of this movie i i kind of like some things but i don't i never there no part in the um at no part in the mo- point in the movie did it grab me at all and like you know feel like it was it was like speaking directly to me or like dragging me into it so I was fully invested in it. I was kind of always just you know at arm's length away from from the proceedings. And I don't know if it's um like the direction or or like the performances. It's an extremely flawed movie. I I would love it with the the exception and noting that a lot of people who are going to see it rightfully are going to dislike it. 
um, you know, Richard Brody's review is pretty critical in like kind of its aimlessness. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, Guy Lodge's variety review, don't know why I said variety. Of course he works for variety. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he was pretty adoring of it, but even he says like the finale of the film is pretty aimless and, and, and pointless and boringly shot, um, which is true. And, and there's a lot of things in this movie that don't work at all. I think Natalie Portman's performance isn't the best. Um, I think she's a little, I guess dimensionless. Yeah, it's um, weird because I, I think she's really fucking going for it, but I'm not sure where she's. I'm not, not sure I what she's do. going for. I do. I think she is, and this plays into a lot of people have been kind of like looking. This movie has it's basically the premise being that she survives. You know, Celeste survives a school shooting. The first two thirds of the film um, are, you know, playing as this little girl younger teenager girl kind of finding her way. Um, And then the last act is, you know, she's falling apart. She's 31, an alcoholic, a drug abuser, kind of teetering on the edge of, not teetering on the edge of a career, but kind of, you know, doing, going for a lot of shit. Well, she was involved in some kind of accident where she hit somebody when she was drunk. And she was drinking Race a slur, kind of playing off that like Mel Gibson sort of scenario. Um, but a lot of people have talked about like the downfalls and pitfalls of pop stardom. Mm-hmm. And I see it more as an examination of autophobia. Explain. So autophobia, you know, being that kind of like fear and obsession and anxiety of being loved. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really prominent part throughout this entire film, mm-hmm. especially the first two acts. Uh, you know, establishing that act of the school shooting in the beginning and having her kind of be stunned, and like I love Rafi Cassidy in this movie. I think yeah, she's I think she's pretty good. I think she's. I better think she's as, the best part. She's better as Celeste's uh, Albertine. daughter, Albertine. Albertine. Yeah, yeah. She's, there's a little more dimensionality. I think Celeste is always presented kind of two dimensionally. I mean, that was a genius idea. Yeah, casting no. Rafi as Celeste and then Celeste's daughter, like and seventeen it's, years it's later. It's really impressive how for a second there, I, for, it took me a couple minutes to actually realize that it was the same actress. She she carries herself differently yep. too. She she does a really she's good. She's, she's up there. Yeah, for my supporting actresses this year. Hmm. Um, I mean not to top, but but up there. Um, but there's always this, even early on when she's like talking to to the kid. Uh, I can't remember the name of the, the shooter. Um, there's this like desire to appease everyone and and playing all the cards. You know, she's mm-hmm. always playing very nice playing this this kind of idea of everything's going to be fine and you know it kind of leads into that 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 discussion when she's with that that musician the druggy musician mm-hmm. um the rock guy talking about her dream of you know she's going down that path and, and i think a lot of people see this as like a stardom thing like oh she's looking for stardom but i think that's defied by the point earlier where she says either it works or it doesn't that's mm-hmm. fine but there is this attempt to reach out to people constantly. There's this need to be around people and have people accept her and have people, you know, not abandon her. There's this like yeah. real fear of abandonment that runs throughout, runs throughout this entire movie. Um, and I think that's what that dream is talking about. And you get a lot of warmth early on with Celeste, like the, the early Celeste, the, the Rafi Cassie of the Celeste is really, you know, brought up by the Christian, her Christian values, yep. brought up by caring about people. She doesn't want, um, 
you know, Jude Law's manager to curse in front of her sister. And she, yeah. she, she's very much. She uh, seems like she has a good head on her shoulders. Good head on her shoulders. And like a, a big thing with like people, you know, that, that kind of suffer monophobia or that, that really kind of invest themselves in the goodness of people. Like there's that nice turn. And, and I think the entire idea of using 9-11, which is a little bit on the nose. Um, I'm like, this is one of my, like one of my problems. Not problems, but one of the my acceptances of saying it's it has a lot of flaws. It does a lot of things that are very on the nose. Um, is is you know this downturn to where she becomes an adult, and and there's still that two dimensionality of she doesn't really give a shit anymore about anybody, um, and she's I mean everything is is very fake. Yeah, that that entire Natalie Portman's character, you know, performance is is so two dimensional. I don't think it's necessarily that she only shot it in ten days, but I think it's fake in the sense of she has lost that interest in you know she's been so beaten down by what she's seen around her, mm-hmm. and that everyone she sees who would have had some sort of care for her, some sort of not not adoration, but some sort of um, need of her in her life has abused that in a certain way, at least in her interpretation. Her sister really hasn't. Her sister was just kind of a bad influence as a but parental perce- figure. Yeah, but I guess she perceives that um, her sister abused... Her fame. Yeah, in the sense that she's, you know, kept her employed and, you know... But I guess... But it plays, into, really idea, it plays into this idea of paranoia, and that's that's a huge thing with, like, you know, this, this kind of general anxiety Celeste suffers. And I found that really interesting. I find it interesting that you present a movie based upon the face of, of pop stardom um, based upon the face of, of all of this, you know, kind of like star is born is definitely a movie about the pitfalls or whatnot, pop stardom or pitfall and maybe the rise of stardom. And like everyone kind of like focuses in on that in this film, but I think it's not bad. It's just about being accepted. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to or being accepted and being loved and being needed. Mm-hmm. And when it gets to a point where you feel like people are abusing that or they don't need you, then just skewing that and going fully into the misanthropic and the selfish. And that's what she does. She doesn't at the end care about anybody besides herself. And that's why I think kind of, even though has, has kind of dully presented and choreographed as that final act is, yeah. um, it just focuses purely on her because that's all she cares about at that point is just herself. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the fact that people adore her or love her anymore, but just the fact that she is the pinpoint. She is the the, the example setter. Mm. Well, I think the idea of the, she being an example setter is, is um, exemplified in the fact that when her sister and... Um, um, Albertine? Or the Albertine, yeah. <sighs> When her sister and Albertine walk in, like, they first come into the concert, they're really not, like, enjoying themselves. They're just kind of looking, you know... Um, Uncomfortable and You know, they're slightly kind of glowering bored. at her. Um, they look upset. There's the Willem Dafoe, his last voiceover, where he's saying that um, when Celeste was in the hospital, like, she had this memory of, of the devil coming to her and her, you know, making a deal with the devil where... Um, and, like, he said one this one thing to her, like, you know, wanted to get ready to, you know, whatever it is. That actually comes up a couple mm, times three in the to go, film. Yeah. Um, you know, and four, you know, follow me or something. And then, you know, the next time we see Ellie and um, Albertine, they're kind of bopping along to the movie. So it's almost like, you know, everyone is back to following her. Um, I couldn't help but come 
to because of the school shooting thing i couldn't help but go back to columbine a little bit well i mean yeah which is supposed to be there but remember i don't know if you remember this remember that book she said yes i i do not so it was it was about this girl who was in columbine was it by? Um, Misty Bernal. Oh, the one. Oh, it's just a book written about, by, like, about do you believe in God. Yeah, uh, about one. Cassie Bernal. So she wants she like prays like before she gets killed. Um, and I think one of the interesting things about John Cullen's book Columbine is he kind of dispels that was kind of a myth. Yeah, like, that didn't really happen. Like everyone just kind of like a bunch of stories came together and it was just decided that this thing th- that this did happen. Um, and a bunch of creates a you know, good narrative, exactly. And the, you know, a sad good narrative. All these people, the kind of you know, people of a certain um, feeling about things, about a certain vision of the world, kind of latched onto this, and they were just like, "Well, this is a thing that happened." You know, it became like a myth about how that worked. And I thought one of the things I thought was interesting was, I think the narration is interesting because, like we were talking about off camera, she see the narrator seems camera. We said it off again. camera, and we're doing it. That's what we just. That's what we do now. <laughs> um, the narrator seems very knowing, but knowing to a point where he's processed it and he can comment on it and he can think about it. So it almost seems like the narrator is working at cross purposes with the characters in the movie where he's kind of, he's already seen it, so he can extrapolate some of the meaning behind these things and he's letting us know, almost as he's as if he's dispelling myth, like right then and there. There's also the kind of duality idea in the sense that in the speech when um, Celeste is young and she's laying on the bed with that, that rock musician, who I guess is supposed to be Albertine's father. I, I, Are we I supposed assumed, to assume I that? I assume that. Um, well, the, I mean, the most compelling part of that dream Or at least thing, a good facsimile of the of type the of person because, that would have been yeah. Albertine's. But the ages, the ages line up. I think so, yeah. And the, you know, Albertine's supposed to be like. 15. And Albertine asks to to see him. Ask Jude Law if she can. He can go see his band, and he Jude Law says, "Well, he has got a lot of problems, and you know that guy would have a lot of problems." Well, I thought the interesting part of that dream was like when she was talking about going down the tunnel, and she kept seeing different bodies laying in the tunnel, and she was you know driving past them, and she wasn't she wasn't looking at them, and she turns out that the different bodies were her at different ages, um, and they were all laid out in different configurations, and then you get. Obviously, um, you know, uh, Raffi Cassidy playing Albertine, who, you know, Celeste's daughter. And so there's this, there's another duality, you know what I mean? It's kind of, mm. and then you get that later when that's that weird prayer scene when um, Celeste makes the driver stop on the way to the concert at, you know, Staten Island. And um, they pull over at the beach and you see their backs. And um, Albertine's wearing a jacket on it that says Celeste. Yeah. Um, it's this kind of like, you know, speaking this duality of, thing. Speaking of it, not necessarily dualities, I do love the fact that you know they changed performers for Celeste, but they kept Stacey Martin, who's like twenty five, to be she Natalie looked, Portman's older. She looked ruined when she was <laughs> older. seventeen years later. She looked like she had lived seventeen years. Um, and then there's a duality of the the twin tragedies: the school shooting and then the shooting on the beach. Um, and then there is which that's a great that is one of the that and the opening credits, I think, are the two really standout, well-shot sequences in terms of you know, how they're, they're shot. Like, that's that, ter- that score with terrorists playing in the background, mm-hmm. that Scott Walker score, um, and, like, the introduction of them. It does start out where you – I think Guy Lodge talked about this. It starts out, you're like, oh, 
it's a new music video and like it's interesting she's taking this turn and it's like no it's you know it's an actual terrorist attack in Croatia and that was yeah. presented well I think that was I think it was presented and I think the school shooting part even with the, like the the police coming in um, all of those things were interestingly done I think the shot of them finding the bodies was an interesting shot also yeah um, because it didn't reveal the bodies until like the last frame and they're just kind of all piled up I did the like the the, uh, the dark humor too of the explosion being nothing right right yeah just like a very small like car burst explodes. of fire um but then there's the guy the reporter who asks her about the two events and also mentions the the idea of 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 nihilism like where none of this stuff none of this stuff matters and I you talk about the, the round table the sequence. round table thing and that you know that she storms out of because like how dare you ask me this thing I just want to try to make doing that happy. Demi-esque blah, blah, shot blah. reverse shot sort of yeah thing. Um, who gets thanked at the end of the movie um, yeah that's... I wonder if the point that Brady Corbett is trying to make is that all of, we keep trying to find meaning in all of these things. You know, in pop music, in school shootings, in whatever, and and they're like two extremes. Like, because she says, like, I just want to make mu- music for people who, Are so they don't they? have to think about stuff. You know what I mean? Exactly. I don't want to. I just want to make music for people who don't want, so they don't have to think about something. But obviously, it comes from like having to think about something. Um, where I think the movie is interesting for me in that it seems to want to meet in the middle. Like how these two ideas, these two extremes intersect in into something, into, into art. Um, but I'm not sure the ending sells, the whole last scenes sell that idea because I'm not sure that concert is in any way transcendent. No, it's, it's not. And the, I'm not sure any of her behavior is justified either. You know what I mean? No, it's, it's not. It's, I think, you know, going off of my feelings of it, it makes sense that she's acting this way because she doesn't give a shit anymore. Um, right. I think that's key. That, like, nothing... She's that she figured out that, it that nothing make, matters. And all, matter. that, all that matters is what makes her feel good. You know, even has, like, passively, as she says, like, when she's, you know, big and get high, she's like, you can fuck me while we're coming down or whatever. Yeah. You know, and then, like, kind of that uplifting druggy track plays... Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of, like, fun track when they're getting so fucked up and it leads to them stumbling and being able to barely walk and she has to be taken care of. But that track that Walker plays is kind of... Kind of bouncing. Sounds like yeah. a, you know, a British daytime comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it plays off of that. I think that makes sense. But I do think that finale does fail. It, it does not work. That entire, like... Yeah. Ending with a 10-minute concert performance. It's, it's basically like he heard that Brian Singer was redoing Live Aid for Bohemian Rhapsody. He was like, I'm going to do that too. Right. And I, there's all these... In which case, anybody out there, don't emulate Brian Singer ever. Ideal. Except for like his personal life. Emulate that. <laughs> we should put a disclaimer on this part. <laughs> Warning. We, we would used to cut things out like that I would say like that. No, no we're going to keep it in. Um, right. And I think it has to work for the whole last part of the movie to work. Um, yeah, and I, I like, I really like it. I love it, a lot of it, in spite of that. Yeah. Um, it is I, interesting. I would say, I would say uh, but I do think the score and soundtrack play a pretty key role in that, because those do, we talked about this going to get the beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the beer. In the car. Um, 
Pivotal film movie, huh? Brought to you by Subaru. Uh, <laughs> about you, you, you said that with you know the previous his previous film, um, Children of Childhood of a Leader, Childhood of a Leader, that that Scott Walker score kind of overwhelms it. Um, mm-hmm. I think in this, a lot of the narrative doesn't work as much without that Scott Walker score. And I really love the Scott Walker score in this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talking like about. Too. Talking about that that scene where she talked about the dream, using that track of yearning, which is a really great track, mm. leading into hologram playing was so discordant. Mm. Um, you know, playing the fears but like etherealness of of the dream mixed with kind of like this punchy pop track mm-hmm. um, really works for me. Anthem, which plays right after you know the opening credits and where she's really found using um, wrapped up. Like the kind of which was yeah that was that was up. kind of beautiful. Like you said, using kind of still that discordant kind of well yeah it twists. Like so by the yeah. time it gets to her in the recording studio, um, that melody has has been twisted, which uh, then which leads is in, po- which is, I think is what's supposed to have happened. Which then leads into a live, which has that weird like uh, 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 yeah. uh, like repeated a lot, mm-hmm. and it becomes uncomfortable. Like after the fourth time she does it, and I think a lot like I do think much more. Than that Bradley Cooper movie that people love. Um, <laughs> probably some of our viewers like that movie. Uh, where one song worked in that movie? No, half a song. Half a song. Because as soon as Lady Gaga starts going, oh, 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 they didn't write a bridge. They were just like, <laughs> just just sound like you're about to throw up on, on the microphone and we'll be fine. But yeah, where half a song works... Um, this entire, I think, kind of the score and soundtrack of this movie work to in service of the narrative. I mean, maybe not, once again, the finale. I think the finale is just kind of... Well, there's a consist- There's a nice consistency between Wrapped Up and, like, the songs at the end of the movie. You know what I mean? They yeah. were clearly written with, like, a single vision, a single voice. And they evolve really well to, like, how scratchy yeah. and throaty, raspy kind of Natalie Portman's voice is compared to how soft and... Prepubescent? No, she's not prepubescent. Teen, adolescent. Yeah, um, and unsure of Cassidy's voices, yeah. and and like I, I think CS did a pretty good job of creating very middle of the road pop songs. Um, obviously, something like Alive or Holograms wouldn't exist in two thousand one, two thousand two. But no, they're whatever. very modern. You know, dance. But pop I just, songs. I just want to use this as tell Pitchfork to go fuck itself because like they did a scathing review of this. Yeah, and they also said like that memes and all that people wouldn't have become viral successes back then. It's like there was viral things in the early 2000s. Yeah. Badger, 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 mushroom, mushroom, snake, snake. <laughs> For all my fellow 31 to 33-year-olds out there. Yeah. There was fucking flash videos. Well, and there was... Newgrounds a- was a thing, people. And you know what? Like, So, like, people would have made... Viral, viral things thing. didn't get around the same way they do now. No, but they, but they did get around. Did get around. You, everyone said to somebody... Here's something you have to watch. Here's a, a DVD of something that gets passed around. Here's a tape of something. Here's like a video cassette of something. And if someone yeah, wanted to see Lime it, you had didn't, to see it. LimeWire didn't exist in 2001. Apparently talking to people didn't exist yeah. in 2001 either. Apparently getting 15 of your friends together to watch a Dave Chappelle special didn't exist in 2001. You know, and that's how that was the and, viral and version also, of things. And they also back talked then. about how like people weren't noticing the, the tragedy and consistency of violence. It's like, no, they were getting pretty comfortable with that around 99 2000 like it wasn't as prolific as it is now but there was a certain 
lack of shock with Columbine, mm. having lived through that, you know. Um, well, the scope of, the scope, scope of, of it, the scope of it was, was, was large, and the fact that Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold were. But the scope of Sandy Hook was also large. But by right. that point, you know things. But by that point, we had stopped thinking about. One of the things that we thought about after Columbine was the perpetrators. Who are these kids? We need to get inside the mind of, of these kids. And um, I think it's an interesting choice for this movie to kind of askew anything other than the ramifications of that school shooting. Yeah. Um, I mean, he works... she didn't speak. I think it's an interesting thing to think about. You know, we can end whenever we want to. But the idea that, like, she never said that she spoke for everybody. You know what I mean? Like, they said that herself, they changed yeah. the they changed the lyric from I to we. So you know, <laughs> which, which made which it did, more universal. Which did not do Natalie Portman's version on right. the soundtrack. Um, I just found that goofy. It's fine. But she was writing the song about from her perspective about her relationship to her sister. You know, or if like it's true, like the sister says at the end of the movie, like I write all your songs. The sister writing it about Ellie, writing it about Celeste. It's just this. It's it's this kind of myopic perspective on the world that we've all just, you know, which the movie I guess is saying that we all just kind of like jump, you know, you know tried to jump into and you know tried to see ourselves in. Yeah. Um, it's it's a, it's an interesting absence, I think, to just kind of cut off the school shooting. There, it's like, well, that's the end of school shooting. Yeah. No. It's, it's a good like catalyst that it doesn't paint the rest of the narrative. I didn't um, think that was bad, though. Did you think that was bad? No, I didn't at all. I think it's good. And I think it's especially good that when they bring it up later, it's kind of just barely referenced as, like, are they doing this a terrorist attack? Like, was the terrorist attack in reference to, like, the fact that you came, were born of the school shooting? They touch on that barely, but it's more becomes, you know, are they just doing it? They more focus in the you're just representing Western lack of values. Yeah. Sort of thing. I thought that was clever, like, just, just to not, like, so heavily lean into that and i think there's a lot of clever choices i think he's a director who's still finding his voice i think so too i think that's the main um, thing yeah he's, he's didn't find it as quickly as you know something like bo burnham or oh that's this this so, is a sorry, sorry to bother you guy i can't remember his name sorry dude uh found oh, it boots, um, boots, boots riley. riley found it um found a voice i should say like found a, a that consistent sound. Well, I, mean, I would argue that what he is doing here is much more valid, complex, complex much more complex than yeah. what Bo Burnham's doing. Well, yeah, I was just, I was just trying to say, like, in I terms of a mean. voice, there's yeah, a yeah. bit of a, there's still, you know, the first two acts work extremely well, and I love that movie. The first two acts and the last act, the music works enough to where I, I like the music mm-hmm. and like everything it kind of represents in terms of like her loss of just like giving a shit works. But that last act visually and, and blocking wise is a failure. So I, I and it's, it's inconsistent with he's, the way he's done for the first. Yeah. Act. It almost seems he's um, the movie almost seems too big for him. And likewise, Natalie Portman's performance almost seems too big for him to the point where like it, it just seems clownish. And he should, he should learn. He should learn Latin before he names his movies too. He calls it Vox Lux, mm-hmm. meaning uh, voice of light, except Vox Lucius is voice of light. It's yeah. just light voice in, in the English translation. Oh, well, there you go. So her, apparently her voice is just pretty, her voice is just like, I am, <laughs> this is my song. All right, I think we need to end on this question, though, Mario. Uh, I, I am. I am a private girl in the public world. <laughs> 
Is Jude Law a private girl in a public world? <laughs> is that the question? No, do we like Jude Law in do this? Do we like Jude Law in this movie? I do. Um, Does he, commits... he have to be a New Yorker? No, but he commits to it, and it, it's fun. It's it's such a, like a... It's an interesting character. He cares a lot, but he doesn't need to, and he shouldn't. <laughs> and... And it seems like he cares. I don't understand how him and Ellie's relationship would really fucking bum out Celeste. Um, yeah. Like, except for the fact that, like, she infantized, infant, infantized, infantilized Ellie to an extent. And, and this is like saying that Ellie's fucking someone. Yeah. You know? Um, or, or purified, I guess, maybe. So, uh-huh. so Ellie and then saying Ellie's sleeping with him. But, like, he's not, he's not doing a lot, but... At least what he's doing, he commits to. And he does that a lot. Like, you know, Gigolo... Gigolo Joe? Gigolo Joe. Gigolo Jim. Gigolo Joe is, you know, another character that's not doing a lot, but he commits to it. Yeah. I give Jude Law credit for, like, when he doesn't have shit to do. Like, and I think this is a character that doesn't have a lot to do. He's just there to drive Celeste's story. Mm -hmm. He's going to commit to it. He's going to be consistent. I just, I didn't think he was bad. I just didn't think... Yeah, they didn't give him enough to do. And... The New Yorker aspect of it thing seemed to cloud. Yeah, it's it's weird because there's, like, there's there's British music managers that like, work for American labels. I'm sure. Of I it. mean, I guess the idea was just more like she would be, been found by a local guy. Um, I did like the fact that like Natalie Portman leaned into the Staten Island like bad accent in yeah. the sense of like she's playing up a character now mm-hmm. that that she thinks people want to see. Well, like, if, if there's a if there's a disappointment for me in this movie, it's that the Natalie Portman fucking A plus effort goes kind of un like unrealized. You know what I mean? Cuz she she is giving it literally everything she has and it's just kind of it just ends up just kind of sitting there on the screen. It doesn't bring the movie to life at all. It's just kind of there. Be like, "Wow, that was well, that was good screaming." No. That was good. I mean, that's it's especially interesting considering like my favorite part of Black Swan is like a part when she doesn't say anything. It's just when she finishes dancing the Black Swan part and just and just saunters off the well, stage. Think, I'm just like, she could get a fucking Oscar for just walking. I think I think some of the best parts of this are the way she saunters and walks, kind of mm-hmm. with that really affected way, um, and that that druggy sequence. You know, just yeah, sped up a lot, but like just the way she carries herself is great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I liked it a lot, though. Yeah. Um. I don't like it so but much. I, I can I can really accept that people won't like it. Oh, yeah. it's better than Star Is Born, though. It's way better than Star Is Born. It's actually doing something way better. So, um, <laughs> so if you're taking anything from this, just don't don't see Star Is Born. And maybe when the two Fox movies Fox. get released on VOD fairly soon, um, you should make a point of paying fourteen ninety nine to to see at to at see Eternity's Fox Gate Fox. and at Eternity's Gate before any of these. Yeah, you should see both of those movies. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with our seventy eights. Welcome back. My number 78 is the 2011 action drama heist, whatever, 80s nostalgia tour de force uh, by Danish director Nicholas Winding Riffen. Drive. It stars Ryan Gosling has a Hollywood stunt driver who doesn't have a name because he's cool like that. He's got mm. a cool jacket that everyone wore for two Halloweens. 
as he tries to help his neighbor's um, husband, who's debt-ridden, uh, pay off his debt with a... He's, he's not only a stunt driver, but he also is a getaway driver, and mm-hmm. he tries to help with a getaway um, that turns to shit. Eventually gets chased by Albert Brooks. That's you never want to get chased by Albert Brooks. <laughs> Albert Brooks and, uh, you know, Ron Perlman. Those are, and, uh, yeah. You never want those two guys going Very typical, I would say, kind of heist movie with extreme ultra-violence follows. Mm. It's the perfect movie if you want to see Christina Hendricks' face get obliterated by a shotgun in slow motion. There's a couple of face obliterations in this movie. But not not so many on screen as Christina Hendricks' face. Right, yeah, yeah. Exploding in the little pellets. Yeah. Um, and now I, I don't particularly love this movie, but man, do I appreciate its style. 2011, for our younger viewers out there, that's seven years ago now. Jesus Christ. Does this movie actually... Was this actually come? It, yeah, it actually came out in 2011. I was like, "Is this like that that brick thing where it actually came out? You know, in the year later? No, it came out in 2011. Jesus, makes me feel old now." Barack Obama was comfortably president in 2011. He was still in his first term. They were, they haven't even decided that Mitt Romney was going to be his opponent. Well, the lizard people decided that a long time ago. Oh, but... of course, after the mud flood. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for those who don't know. 80s nostalgia wasn't wasn't in hot, hot, hot ticket yet. I mean, you had Vice City, Grand Theft Auto, ten years earlier, but you know the Goldbergs wasn't on the air. <laughs> that's that's your barometer. Yeah, no. What other 80s thing are there? Just the Goldbergs. When major networks are making nostalgic <laughs> 80s sitcoms, that's when you know that something's a thing. And so this film, four has. Typical as it was in terms of its storytelling. I mean, it's really carried by an excellent, underappreciated Albert Brooks performance. I don't know if it's underappreciated. Because he didn't get nominated for, like, anything. But post, I think post... In I remember when the reviews of this movie came out, a lot of people talked... Well, everyone was... Everyone's history mad. History of violence. And, like, in that kind of, like, twisted... Like, like William Hurt? Like, like the William Hurt. Hurt. Oh, no, he's, he's, not, he's not anywhere near William right, Hurt's exactly. but that You know, it's an actor who goes to a place like, where you don't normally, they don't normally But go I think you, I would have expected William Hurt to go there. I definitely expected William Hurt to go there in History of Violence. I would not expect, you know, Nemo's dad to go there. Or the guy from, what was that movie? What was that Albert Brooks yeah, movie from the early 90s? No, no, no. No, the other one. He, early 90, he dies and he goes to heaven. He's in heaven, and there's like a waiting oh, room. I remember, remember that movie? Yeah. I loved that movie as a kid. Ah, oh, man. I, I liked heaven The Muse when I was a kid. The Muse, I thought, was a good movie. I hated that movie. Really? Yeah. It was funny. I actually watched that because of this. Man, I, I haven't watched that movie in years now. The uh, the Heaven movie. Mm-hmm. People on Twitter, tell me what the Heaven movie's called. <laughs> I'm not even going to look it up. I just want, I'm just going to want you guys to look up the Heaven movie yeah. for me. Albert he Brooks dies and goes to heaven. Of course. There's, there's, like a, there's like a tram. It's Albert Brooks. Yeah. But uh, but I'd say it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a bigger shot. Departure, yeah. yeah. Um, so during this time, like, ultraviolence wasn't really hip in, in, in action yet. And so this was a really shockingly violent movie, but it was so stylistic. And, you know, 
it was during a time where I don't think films had this kind of really flashy neon style or this kind of like cool neon style or hadn't had it for a while. Mm. I think around that time, there was a couple movies at that time that actually did have style. Um, Whip It being one, surprisingly. Yeah. Do you remember that one? Whip It with Ellen Page? Yeah, the Drew Barrymore movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there was kind of like this dull period yeah. in the early 2010s where a lot of films were kind of, were not bad. There are a lot of great movies that came out, but they're very kind of like slice of life, very realistic. And this had such a weird neon presence and such a weird sort of Hollywood focus. Mm-hmm. And the only reason, and this is one of the worst films that I'm putting on my list in the sense of, I don't have a lot to say of the reason why it's a pivotal film is it started my adoration of synthwave. <laughs> okay. And sometimes I, we need to talk about pivotal films in the sense of, it influences one's spectrum of your life so much, so, so much. It starts you on a dark <laughs> fucking trip that you eagerly anticipate for weeks the release of a new Gunship album, which uh-huh. was just like a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. The Dark All Day. It's a really good album. Is it actually. good? I like it. Have you heard any Gunship? I haven't heard new music in forever. Oh. But there's Synthwave. And man, you know that Kavinsky song? which mm-hmm. I now hate because literally anytime I put a song on YouTube, doesn't matter what, I, I could be playing Neutral Milk Hotel, yep. and six songs later, it'll get, there. It'll get to Kavinsky's yeah. Night Call. There you go. Um, so yeah, this movie doesn't do a lot for me, really. It's, and I, I, I think we're going to talk about it in the back and forth here in a second, uh, because a lot of people really love this movie and talk about how cool money, yeah. and awesome it is, mm-hmm. and it made a lot of money. Like, I'd say like Albert Brooks was deserving of a nomination, but I don't think it doesn't do anything else. It's really stylistic. Uh, but I think people are now realizing that Refn's not the best director at all. Only God forgives. Isn't very good. Neon demon. Isn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, his earlier film, I can't remember the name of it right now was actually was decent with, um, Mads Mikkelsen. Mm-hmm. Why am I not remembering the name? The hollow rising. The hollow rising was good. Um, See, I didn't do a lot of research on this one just because I just wanted to talk about how much it influenced my love of Synthwave. I just really want to get to the discussion of the next movie because I actually have a lot to say about it. But it's this instance where a movie should be accepted for the fact that maybe it isn't very good and maybe people need to accept sometimes that movies aren't very good and drive isn't a very good movie yeah. it's fun it looks nice the soundtrack's fucking awesome and that's okay but we need i keep pinning well, this home and yeah. i pinned this home way earlier in the list but th- i just had to put this higher up because of how much i love synthwave man this is 100 percent example in the modern time of how much, like, this movie, and I think some of the, the video games that are coming out of the area kind of led to this really big strength of 80s nostalgia that mm-hmm. we're so firmly into now with Stranger Things. And all the, and and the everything else. And the, the Goldbergs. Yeah, um, especially the Goldbergs. I mean, I think this movie is, again, I mean, it's so well made. 
Is that it interesting? Well, yeah, I think it is stylistic, but well, it's I mean, really but like, well made. No, I, mean, I just mean well made from like a visual standpoint. I mean, this would be Pauline Kael's favorite movie, right? If she was alive, this does this movie does everything Pauline Kael ever wanted a movie to do. It's got you know, it's sexy. It's got all this really well shot violence. It's got some you know pretty good acting in it. Um, it's got a good soundtrack. It's a very sensual experience. It's it feels like candy to me, right? But that's all. I mean, but that's. You know, her love of Brian De Palma proved that all she really wanted out of a movie like, was like a. We was talked a about piece this last week that Brian De Palma was at least doing other things. Like he was at least. Well, I don't think he, sometimes he was, but a lot of the times I think he was just trying to make a movie. He was to look trying good. to do something else, though. I think a lot, a lot of times. Mm. He was at least attempting. If he was succeeding, is a different story. There's interesting things in this movie, though, that like go right to but De Palma. What, what in this movie, besides that opening, that opening's really well shot and, and really sets a tone. Mm-hmm. That opening, not opening shot, but the opening scene sets a tone. But after that, man, like nothing else happens in this that oh, no. really, it's a stup- really I mean, makes it's any sort of impression. I mean, people talk about like that, that drowning sequence where he kills the, the Perlman's character. Why? But it's like, man, you know what? You know, it's a good drowning sequence with Ryan Gosling. Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. That's a really good draft. I think after that, and like people, so I, I don't think anybody said this. I hope not. But like, oh, maybe that was inspired by this. And like, no, it wasn't. Because no. like, that's what, this is a, a boring way of presenting it. Well, I think it was interesting. So, uh, you know, I just, I didn't think that this Brian De Palma documentary would be, would come up as often as it does. But I guess Brian De Palma is kind of one of those directors that kind of, you know. Is it now a pivotal film? Is, no, is God, on? no. Um, <laughs> But it just kind of, you know, he just, he, he has influenced a lot of people that are making a certain kind of movie. So there's where, you know, the, the Michael Caine, Mike, um, doing air quotes, um, dressed as a woman, um, you know, slices the arm of that other woman in the elevator um, before he gets on and then just hacks her up. And um, Albert Brooks is the same thing to Brian Cranston's. Shannon character. You know what I mean? It's, it's right, right on the arm. Like, sliced right on the arm. You know, he just bleeds out. Um, which was funny, because it was, seemed like a tribute to that, to, to that thing. And this movie so much looks like something that Brian De Palma would do. Like when Ryan Gosling crushes that guy's face in the elevator. I was like, Brian De Palma would love to crush a guy's face in the elevator. Brian De Palma would totally have Ryan Gosling stab a guy in the chest with a curtain rod that just kind of mystically flew into his hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Brian De Palma would totally crush that guy's fingers with an above, you know, a from above, like bird's eye view shot, you know, while a bunch of completely emotionless strippers sit topless, like watching him try to make that, watching him make this guy eat a bullet. You know what I mean? Like that's totally Brian De Palma like things. There's a just very sensual, um, that's interesting. Movie making. That's interesting because when I saw this initially, I thought it was supposed to be a love letter to Michael Mann. I think that's it, it is that too. Okay, and that's why I wasn't. That's why I was like really impressed stylistically because it, it was this movie uh, from a style standpoint came as like a, a drink of water in the middle of a drought. Um, like I said, there wasn't a lot of stylistic stuff, yeah. but going on during that time of film and man. If we ever get Twitter responses, people will be like, hey, dumb fuck, watch this movie during this period of time. Sure. Um, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I wasn't watching a lot of movies. I was poor. So lay <laughs> off. Check your fucking privilege. Uh, 
But I thought it was a love letter to Michael Mann, like especially like Manhunter. Yeah, oh yeah. A lot of stuff in this has that neon scope of Manhunter, but it was not doing anywhere near the amount of work that like Manhunter does. It's not as. It's funny for a movie that's as sensually appealing. Ah shit, Manhunter is not on my list. <laughs> that's a movie that that made a miss. We're gonna have to do a special episode about movies that we re- remembered. We messed up. Should have. Yeah. Um, Manhunter would be one. You. It's um. What was I going to say? I don't remember what I was going to say. Talk about about Michael Mann and about how it's doing things stylistically, um, but not doing it as well. Oh, for a movie that's as um, visually striking as this movie is, um, which is one of the reasons I kind of like Only God Forgives better than I like this movie, it's got a lot of plot. There's just so much plot. And a lot of the things that, like, you know, some of the great actors in this movie say is very plot-driven. And just, you know, there to move, like, this very Byzantine, like, East Coast Mafia, you know, West Coast, you know, Mafia insults and, you know, you know all this like, That's why I think stuff. I really like, oh, okay. like Valhalla Rising because there's not a lot of stuff plot going on in Valhalla Rising, but it's really visually striking. Mm-hmm. But it's also visually striking a sense of, I think it's more of his own tone, or more of his own not pulling from other sources. It's, it's him just presenting the story. Um, and he has, he, has a, he has a good eye. I mean, yeah. 100% oh, yeah, has a good yeah. eye. But Only God Forgives feels too much like a love letter to you know, still still that neonness of of 80s film, but also a lot of Asian influence. Oh yeah, um, but I like that it goes and it, like, like goes for it. It, it goes like, for it, but it's also like it doesn't feel like it's its own thing. So you kind of watch it going. I would watch. I'd rather watch the films that inspired. This. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you kind of end up going. But it's one of those kind things of where you have a you have Ryan Gosling in Drive essentially playing a cipher who is they keep trying to like insinuate some kind of backstory, but like there's none. He's just there's no rhyme or reason for any of the things that he's doing but they keep giving him moments where he's like has to emote and he has to feel something only god forgives us great because oh, <laughs> Ryan Gosling doesn't do even the whole movie he doesn't do anything i mean he like beats the shit out of i only of got people. through a half of only god forgives to be honest um but i like those movies that like really try to subvert like you know using ryan gosling in a movie where he just fights people and doesn't talk is fucking great that's why I, I can appreciate whatever this first man thing is, which I, you know, I'm kind of excited to see now in a couple of weeks, just because I want to see how there's such backlash against how he used Ryan Gosling. You know what I mean? And like how he made Neil Armstrong kind of like this really brooding interior presence. Um, I'm just kind of fascinated by it. And that's something that I think um, Reffin does here in the sense that he just is like, All right, you just, just, just don't even be angry. Don't be anything. Just be so, like, intense that, you know, it's obvious that you're going to be perfectly capable of killing any number of people whenever you want. Um, and which he, <laughs> which he is. But it's funny because, like, the parts of this movie that work best for me, which the movie then abandons, is the relationship between him and Carrie Mulligan. Like, that scene after he drives, you know, after he takes them um, driving through those canals... And, you know, they're playing at that pond, and, and then he, and he takes them home. Um, when they're just, like, standing and, like, staring at each other, like, there's real heat there. Like, Carrie Mulligan is is 
like invested in that in that scene. Like her chest is really like oh yeah, there's rising. There's a really it good, almost seems like chemistry. he is he is melting whatever like will she has left for Oscar Isaac's standard. You know what I mean? Or to yeah. be true to him. He, no, this is this is one of the best nothing. examples of two actors who like you're looking, you're watching this movie, and like they 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 need to they need to fuck. It's what <laughs> it's what is missing from something like The Notebook, where there is no chemistry. No, it's yeah. just oh man, <laughs> it's just people being weird to each other. Man, The Notebook with Carrie Mulligan and him would have been fucking awesome. Would have been gross. <laughs> well, because they <laughs> it would just, have been gross. I think they just they just would have would have had sex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nicholas Sparks, t- Nicholas Sparks would be off screen going. No, stop. no, what are you doing? He doesn't bite her in the book. Why are you biting her? Um, but then it just, I mean, that's why this movie... See, there was no beads. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those mov- reasons, I mean, there's a lot of reasons this movie didn't connect with me. But one of the reasons the movie didn't connect with me is that it just abandons any kind of emotional impact in favor of, um, of style. We've had this conversation about lots of movies where I can't, I can't take a movie I'm a seriously. Yeah. Right. I can't take a movie seriously that it's just really interested in being cool. Like, and fuck your coolness. Like, give me some, give me some emotions to really to, to dig into. And this movie doesn't really doesn't do anything. No, it just rests in its coolness. And it's, it's an interesting topic I keep bringing up incessantly. And it's it's it will end soon guys don't worry i have one more movie on my list that i think does style really heavily but i actually really love that movie the lion king and i just circled it for you oh yeah um it that will be a while later but i always find interesting the critical acceptance of movies and this movie is really well loved like a lot yeah. of people oh, yeah. put this on the top of their list but it's not doing anything it's just stylistic and it's okay once again, like we say, to like just accept and revel in the style of a movie, but not to think a movie's great. Not to take it seriously. Yeah. You don't have to take the... The fact that people are taking this movie seriously uh, strikes me as really funny. Because it's not like a serious movie at all. I mean, Refn takes it very seriously, but when you're watching... Which, like, like, you should. I mean, if you're directing it and you want to, like, push it, like, it's, it's fu- completely fine to be the yeah, creator of the product. And... And take it seriously. But the Wikipedia page tells about like how uh, Refn made everyone move into his house so they could like work on the script and bond. It's like, come on, man. Man, he just wants some. You're friends. making a car. You're making a car movie. <laughs> he just wants some friends, probably. He's <laughs> like, guys, we can no, all. Get... He said he was married and he was living in the house with his wife and kids. And he made bo- everyone move in there with they, him. They could have been boring. Maybe. Maybe. Nicholas and Riffin, if you're listening to this, tell us if your wife and kids are boring. Oh, there, yeah, that'd be an interesting tweet to get. <laughs> Just like, they are so boring <laughs> in a Dutch accent. Um, but yeah, no, it's it, it's we gotta stop looking Mario. at Preach looking it. at movies that are stylistically cool. And I think a good example from this year is Mission Impossible Fallout. I think Rome is a good example too. Well, it's not cool, but it's stylistically impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I want to talk. I want to talk about the cool. Sorry, and Roma's not Sorry. cool, yep. man. But Mission Impossible Fallout's fucking cool as shit. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's fucking fun. Yeah, like, you know, you get people getting shot, like hit in the face with with hooks. You got, <laughs> you got Superman fucking reloading his fists for no reason. You got like a single take 
of people falling out of planes, and people are going like, "This is one of the best action movies of all time. One of the best made action movies of all time," in the sense of like the and they're, now they're starting like do the year end conversations, and there's guys putting this like number one best film of the year, going, you know, but still like it moves its plot forward and like the the great believable villain, like a believable like not believable but a very you know, stylized villain, and it's interesting that you're re-bringing back villains. It's like, no, man, it's just fucking fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. And why, but, am I, why am I talking like like I'm a surfer? So we're excited now. Um, it's like Mission Impossible Fallout is, is on top of my categories for a lot of different categories. They're technical, mm-hmm. and I think it's fun, and it's really cool, and it's a really fucking awesome movie. And yeah, like, you want to say something like a Mission Impossible Fallout's a pivotal movie or a favorite movie fucking go right ahead. But it's not one of the best movies. And like when people need to learn to separate what is the best from what is, you know, fun and favorite. If you want to say it's one of the best action movies because it's really fucking awesome, uh, you know, like something like Fallout or, or something like even like the Raid Redemption, which I really love. Mm-hmm. Uh, the raid, not the raid redemption. Fuck the American title. Of that the raid, mm. you know, um, that's fine. Or dread, you know, like mm-hmm. it's fine to think the movies are really cool and and they're one of your favorite movies or that they're they do the best in their genre. That they're a really good genre flick. But if you're not transcending that, and this movie one hundred percent does not transcend that, outside of maybe a performance, mm-hmm. outside of maybe, maybe the cinematography. Um, but once again, that's a technical sort of yeah. thing. It's it's not one of the best, you know? I mean, if that's what you're looking for, yeah. But that is not, like, the art of it. The art of it... Film itself is, is a medium that's fucking telling a story through, as we talked about, three different things. Through through the word, through, you know, through sound, through the image, and story. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and movies like Drive are doing two of those things but they really lack in the other thing well I think it's it's comparing apples to oranges in a lot of in a lot of cases but I think in a case like a couple of the movies that you have on your list I'm thinking of one recent one specifically which one um Skyfall oh where it oh movies that haven't happened yet right exactly okay um I'm thinking about one movie <laughs> we just keep we just keep that part I'm thinking of reason, <laughs> yeah um those movies do transcend yeah as for all those things just the being relegated to an action or an action movie or a fun movie or a movie that deserves like i would be interested and i didn't read any of it because i don't give a shit because i don't really like this movie i think it's a stupid movie in the same way that i think mission impossible is a stupid movie it's fun it's a lot of fun but i don't fucking care um how people have analyzed I would love to read, like, a scholarly assessment of Drive and, like, trying to break down, you know, what's going on within the movie in a kind of, like, very academic way and relate it to other things or relate it to what was happening in the culture in 2011 or relate it to the juxtaposition between, like, Danish filmmaking and American filmmaking You know what was happening? Whatever, but... We didn't have enough perturbator in our lives. <laughs> and Nicholas Winden Riff was, was like, a... you need to get perturbator. Okay. But, yeah, no, it's... it's I agree. Like, it would be interesting to see someone break down those films. And that's happening. Like, I think that's hap- It's, it's going to happen in 20 years from now. 20 years from now. But is it going to happen to justify someone's personal love of a movie? I think it does. Or think is it going to be because 
this movie proves to be in some way culturally prescient in delivering to us a yearning for 80s nostalgia. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's just like people always try to justify their favorites, like their favorites in the sense of something that really brings up feelings of good, like good feelings to say like it's critically and artistically an exceptional film. And I think like somebody come up to me and saying they really love stars born or they really love the shape of water in the sense of, I really enjoyed the time I had with it, with yeah. it, and it was one of my favorite movies. I'd be like, "Cool, like that's fine." But coming up to me and saying, "Like artistically, this film," and I really, I actually, really do enjoy Shape of Water. I just not in my, anywhere near my We're list. We're gonna talk but, about that. In, what? We're gonna talk about that in like two minutes. Oh, I see why. Um, <laughs> you know, like coming to me and saying it's one of your favorites is it, fine, but then trying to like prove to me are trying to like elicit the fact that it's like a critically should be critically lauded in the sense of it's doing something significant for the art mm-hmm. overall yeah is bullshit and like reading all these people saying that like shape like star is born is is doing significant work for film are doing significant well, uh, like changing things is so patently false. Right. Well, so don't let, I mean, that's one of those conversations I feel like we're turning into assholes. Um, but... Well, come on. I, but, like, the people 20, that, 28, episodes, okay to, 28 episodes, people know we're yeah, assholes. I guess it's okay to think, to really like A Star is Born. I get why you really like it. It is not okay to say A Star is Born is a better movie than Widows. You know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. It just actively makes no sense. Because there is... There is it doesn't even Provo- win like the bare back award. There is provable things happening in Widows that A Star is Born could only aspire to have as a part of its movie. Um, well, that, 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 would, that would involve Bradley Cooper having the mental capacity to uh, aspire to Or the self awareness to aspire to those things. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. I, well, so if you could, if you're, if a lot of people are seeing a lot of, or like you said, you see a lot of Michael Mann, it'd be interesting to compare something like Drive to something like Manhunter, or even something to like Collateral, which is or, a movie that you love. Yeah, or to live and die in L.A. Right. Um, you know where those movies seem Motherfucker. to <laughs> Those movies seem to go to another, another point artistically that Drive or narratively that Drive doesn't quite get to. I forgot to live and die in LA on this list too. Well, if you think it would be higher than seventy-eight, you can just redo it. Man, you can readjust. No, we're keeping this in. Well, live and die in LA is really good though, but all right, it's fine. It's fine. It missed the list. We're gonna have an episode where we talk about things it missed. But yeah, Drive. It inspired my love of synthwave. Synthwave. Blah, blah, blah. Inspired my love of synthwave, and it really made an impact in me in the moment. Mm. But in retrospect. I realize it's just a fun, stylistically good movie that I still watch from time to time because it is a ride. It's a mm. good ride. It's a good drive. No, that's a bad pun. <laughs> we'll be right back with Tom's much better number 78. Welcome back. Mine. Welcome back. Maybe we'll add that in. I'll get a, I'll get a little welcome back out of it. Uh, my number 78 is uh, The Florida Project. New job? Yeah. If you're working, who's looking after money? You're 
I don't want to be your you father. You can't treat me like this. You don't think everybody knows what's up, Haley? Everybody. She's about to cry. I can always tell when adults are about to cry. Why is my mom yelling? I'm just talking. I gotta figure something out. by Sean Baker um, from 2017. It's my second 2017 movie of the year. I'm going to have another 2017 movie next week as well. Um, this is third place in the 2017? This would be third, yeah. Interesting, because this is my third top 2017 movie as well. Oh, oh awesome. Um, I know we both, we talked about how much we both like this movie. Um, it is edited by Sean Baker. It is written by Sean Baker and Chris Burgock. Uh, the cinematography is by Alexis Zaid, who um, shot it on 35mm. Um, it is... Well, most of it's Alexis Zaid. I think the sec- the last scene, I think, was shot by Sean Baker on his iPhone. Or it was just shot on a iPhone. Um, uh, Alexis Zaid worked with um, Harmony Corinne on a couple of earlier indies um, and a couple of other um, indies as well. Award- he, you know, he's an award-winning filmmaker. Um before we get into too much about what it's about and we'll get to what it's about, I think through the course of our conversation and I've talked about this on the pod before how I encountered this movie, but, um, getting ready for Oscar season. Um, I was watching, you know, all these movies just start popping up on Amazon. And I, I had watched the shape of water, which was, I, I kept missing it in the theaters. I just, I kept, you know, trying to get to it and it was either the wrong time or someone was homesick and I just kept missing it. And I was bummed because, you know, Guillermo del Toro is one of the filmmakers that I really love. I sat down. We both have uh, one of his movies yep. we got on our lists. I sat down to watch it. I paid my fifteen bucks. And you both own this movie. Yeah, for, I guess I bought it because I was drunk and I wanted Jordan to see or my friend to see it. No, see, I wasn't drunk. I kind of wish I was drunk. I might have enjoyed it more, but um, I I hated it. I hated every second of it. I think it looks good. Um, I think the tone is pretty good. The art direction is really solid. Yeah, I, and I think Sally Hawkins um, really brings it. You know what I mean? I think she is fucking great in it. I think Richard Jenkins is pretty good. It's pretty good. I, and I like Richard Jenkins, so I'm going to give him a lot of benefits. It's, it's all a bunch of people we really like. Yep. Some of them are really badly misused. I think the movie fucking stinks. I think it is a clear emotional manipulation from Guillermo opening del Toro frame wanted to an end. Oscar. Right. And he, he got it, he though. Got it. And I'm happy for him because he deserves an Oscar. I am hope I'm hope he's over that now. I hope he can make, like, Kronos 2. Um, or anything. It's just or, not this no, shitty I, movie. No, uh, specifically Kronos 2. <laughs> if Guillermo del Toro next directs Kronos 2, I will... I will actively. Well, who knows? He's got like what does he have? Like a shape thousand. Of water, yeah. He's got like fifteen hundred yeah. projects on the back burner. Yeah. Speaking Literally. of which, fucking Guillermo del Toro, do at the Mountains of Madness. Yeah. If you, you asshole, exactly. Um, before he die. Or producers, let Guillermo del Toro do at, at the Mountains of Madness. Um, 
Um, I hated it. I hated every second of it. I thought it was a shitty movie. Um, I thought it was a lie, and I was um, I was viscerally angry. Every at, second, at even it. the part where they talk about how the penis comes out of the the monster. Yeah, because that part it's, is funny because it's also staged. Because it the is. way that it's shot is all so sound stagey and, and set designed and stuff like that. And I'm just like, yeah, it's all fake. It's but like there's a play. At least, there's at least a bit of like naturalism to I Sally like, Hawkins' performance. I, that's that. the thing. I like, and I like Sally Hawkins, but she it seems like she's interacting with a set. You yeah. know what I mean? And she's... And even and that's just talking about Octavia Spencer's performance. Uh, but, but, even, but I even go to the, you know, the Michael Shannon stuff in his office. Is so poorly staged, and that set is so stupid. And his, uh, should we talk his about the part where he, he's eating the candy, stuff. and then he has to explain? We've talked the about candy. that. I've, I feel like I've mentioned this like several times. That was when I was just actively like, "Okay, I'm all done." Like, what the fuck is he talking about? I do like him dragging Michael Stuhlberg by his bullet hole, though. That was yeah, yeah. That was a good like Guillermo del Toro moment. If Michael Shannon's going to shoot somebody in a movie, you would hope he would drag them around by their bullet hole. You would hope he would. It's Michael fucking Chan. But to wash the taste of that movie out of my mouth, Mario, I went to the movie that you had been telling me to watch on a number of occasions. Gotta watch this movie. Gotta watch this movie. Gotta watch this movie. You're welcome. It was The Florida Project. And uh, it kind of turned my head around. Um, And it kind of reestablished in my mind what a movie not just what a movie was capable of in regards to myself and my appreciation of, of film but what I what I wanted out of a what I wanted out of a movie not specifically what I wanted the movie to be but what I wanted to feel after having watched a movie and that is that sensation of of having to recalibrate my head or the movie recalibrated for me and I was forced to observe the world after that through a slightly different lens. It's the reason that there aren't any 2018 movies that are creeping into my list because there's a lot of movies that I really like a lot, but they aren't acting as a kind of um, prism through which I now have to I have to react against my own life. And um, these 2017 movies all kind of did that for me. And, and the Florida Project, um, I don't know. It didn't do it the hardest, but it did it the most interestingly, and, and it, it was the most unexpected. No, that wasn't the most unexpected. My number one was the most unexpected. My number one favorite movie of 2017 was the most unexpected, but I didn't see this one coming either. Um, in uh, a Florida project, the Florida project, um, Mooney, played by Brooklyn Prince, is who's great, you know, but she's a kid, and I think all children are are good movies um, if they're if they have a, if they're asked to do a lot and they can do it I just think they're fantastic I even mean, Elijah Wood in The Good Son yeah I, I just everyone's good in The Good Son yeah I know I just wanted to I wanted to make sure oh, I was testing you and you passed my favorite part of The Good Son is that I think the ending of The Good Son got paid homage to in Murder by Numbers by the end of Mur- at the end of Murder by Numbers the Peter Sellers movie no the Ryan Gosling Michael oh Pitt that movie. one I'm pretty sure the oh. same hanging off the cliff thing happened uh, in that movie. I was thinking of Murder by Death, by the way. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> we don't have to, no, we don't I have think to you're right. Go that far into it. But I just, I've always appreciated that, that those two movies kind of overlap each other. Um, so Mooney <laughs> is raised by... <laughs> <laughs> fucking Murder by Numbers. Yeah. 
What does Ryan Gosling say? They used to call it like him and his friends like murder eight Y numbers. No, murder eight Y num eighters because it has this like they changed the B's out and put eights. Wait, there. Ryan Gosling was jo- was joking that they used to call it that, like outside of the movie. Yeah, oh. I like um, how he still talks about murder by numbers. It was a long time. It was a long time ago. I forget what in what context I heard him say that. Um, it's, it, he was being interviewed for 2049. He's just like, no, we're going to talk about murder by numbers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Mooney is raised by Hallie, um, played by Bria Vin... I don't know. Yeah, Bria Vinetti. 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 They live Vinetti. in the Magic Castle Hotel, um, which is in Kissimmee, Florida. And it was all shot on location at a hotel. And the Disney proprietor World. of yep, proprietor of the hotel um, is Bobby Hicks. He's played by a robbed Willem Dafoe, who oh. got nominated for the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor and deserved it. I really like Sam Rockwell in. I love him. I love it. I three actually, billboards outside yep. of Ebbing, Missouri. But this is the biggest robbery since Ellen Burstyn losing. Yeah, in two thousand, Julie Roberts, to fucking Julie Roberts. What? It's my, I mean, the thing, it's funny. The thing I take away from the Florida Project in regards to Willem Dafoe's character is his compassion and his emotional conflict. The thing I take away from Sam Rockwell's character is the opening scene when he pulls up and looks at the billboard and goes, what? What? That's what I, that's what I take away. Yeah. Obviously, there's a discrepancy here in where these movies ended up in influencing my life. Um Hallie is friends with um, Ashley, who is Scooty's mother. Um, they Mooney ends up meeting, and Scooter Scooty is one of Mooney's friends. Moody ends up meeting Jancy at a neighboring hotel, um, and the movie revolves around Hallie's attempts to maintain. I don't want to say maintain custody of your kid, although that's kind of hovering over the whole movie, but maintain life sustenance. in general. Yeah. yeah. Maintain um, basically the breast. Exactly. Um, not even to climb out of Cause it's just about abject poverty. Right. She's not it's, trying to climb out of poverty. She's just trying to get to the, the next, next day. day. Jinx pinch poke. Um, but interestingly, it is played against two, Simul- it's three storylines kind of going simultaneously. Three attempts to maintain going simultaneously in that Mooney and Scooty and Jancy um, and Dickie are all trying to actively maintain a sense of, of child childhood. Maintain a childhood in this place where it becomes harder and harder to live any kind of life, let alone an appropriate child's life, to maintain that sense of, I don't want to say childlike wonder because that has no value, but that sense of innocence. They're well, really yeah, the childhood, the childhood wonder is shown to have no value by the sense it's told against the backdrop of Disney World. Exactly. Where Sean Baker 100% says that Disney World is the artifice that doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, then there's Hallie. And there is Ashley, um, played by Mella Murder. Yeah, she was really, was really good. good really, this. really good. I remember I saw this movie and I was like, oh, I've seen her in other stuff. And I looked it up and I was like, no, I haven't. No. She looks like some other actress, but she's so, like everyone else 
for the most part, is amateur actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Caleb Landry Jones was his, like, he's never starred in a movie ever. Well, this is his 2017's Caleb Landry Jones' <laughs> big, big year. This is a joke. Uh, that's a joke that just really badly <laughs> failed. Um, but no, most a lot of people are just like, Caleb Landry, who? who? <laughs> when he's not getting beat up by Sam Rockwell. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, everyone besides basically Defoe, Macon Blair, and Landry Jones is a non-actor. I, I think, I mean, maybe a couple of few yep. people here and there. But some of those people are, like, Brooklyn Prince is, is excellent, but Bella Murder was shocking with how much I... Th- how comfortable she was. Everyone else has this kind of like this discomfort or yep. at least this, this like naturalism almost, but she's acting. Her, her, she's definitely yeah, her acting. naturalism goes to a different, a it's, different, it's, it's a an different acting place. naturalism. So it's, yeah, I always want to bring it up because she really impressed me in this. And she doesn't get a lot of, she doesn't get a lot of credit because she's not on like, in the movie the whole time. Like, like and Brooklyn not, Prince. All and, she's, and, um, all she's doing is, and she, all she's doing is literally, driving plot points forward. She's not Holly. She's not, but, you know, she's she's not Mooney. She's not there to, to she, be a center, but she's... No, but she's, interestingly enough, the one with a job, and she's also, interestingly enough, uh, the she's one... She's a foil. She's a With foil. a kind of moral, a sort of moral center. You know what I mean? Where Hallie is kind of portrayed as not really being... She's not able to maintain the same kind of moral center because she doesn't have a job. So she needs to hustle in any way she can, which means, you know, um, selling perfume uh, to people outside of, of hotels, which means, you know, and charging meals. Yeah. No, not bandages, ba- uh, the Tickets to, to, to Disney World to people that she stole um, to, you know, putting charging um, hotel breakfasts to um, people's rooms um, from, you know, running a prostitution ring out of her apartment and putting Mooney in the bathroom while she sleeps with another John, you know, who she sometimes steals from if she has to. Um, it's, it's, it's all of those things. So there's, there's, you know, Mooney's and her friends attempts to maintain their innocence. There's Hallie and Ashley's attempts to, to survive. But then running with those, there is Willem Dafoe's, Bobby, who is just trying to maintain some order in this hotel room, in this hotel complex. Order and compassion. I, well, I no, do so want to talk... So I that's do. the thing. So it's not just... He is trying to... Yes. No, you're right. He is trying to maintain his compassion through the whole thing. He is not unaware of what these people are going through. But he's trying to make a livable situation for everyone. It's portrayed as him just trying to maintain like this money-making venture, but it's not. It's him trying to maintain a livable situation for these people. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, you could see that he he goes without himself. Um, you know, has told with his relationship with, with Jack. You know, he's going he's sacrificing himself just to create a setting for these people. Right. The thing I adore about this film um, is in strong juxtaposition to Shape of Water is its earnestness. Mm. Um, and I don't mean necessarily in it's, you know, presenting a, a very natural sort of slice of life poverty against the backdrop of, you know, rampant consumerism. Of course it's doing that. What I really like is is the presentation of Mooney, you know, Scooty and Dicky early on, how they're kind of, assholes like they're kind of asshole kids sure yeah, yeah and this film 
doesn't shy away, you know, from showing these children do this. And, and then, you know, they take in Jancy, who's, who's a really kind of, in, who has a lot of innocence to her. She really is kind of this pure sort of kid. Mm-hmm. And then she starts getting into these, like, hijinks, like, involved in, like, burning the, 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 old, the, the old abandoned homes. Um, and, and told against this backdrop of, of what Haley's doing of not placing blame no, there's on their, no on their doors. Yeah. No, yeah, not necessarily. But it is not holding their hands. It's not holding the hands of people in abject poverty and victimizing them in the sense are, are you know, making them into victims. Yeah. It is saying that they still have very inherent flaws that they need to transcend themselves in order to, if they ever wish to get out of this sort of situation or that, you know, Haley losing uh, Mooney, uh, custody of Mooney is possibly the right, is the right decision given where Haley's gone. There is not this handholding of its subjects, not necessarily it's, it's um, placing the blame at their doorstep, saying that they are unfortunately victims of their own circumstances and mm-hmm. that's a terrible cycle. But it does so earnestly present that cycle of of people born into the, these this life, um, as shown by like that family that uh, was a Dickies mm-hmm. that goes off to New Orleans and like loses all the toys and just basically he you know, constantly never having anything um, of the cycle of, of of people who are born to this awful system that at some point has created them, but then eventually. You know, they have children of their own and they're forced to do things that are morally abject to, to society's norms. Right. And it, it presents a cycle. It doesn't necessarily say like, oh, isn't this is, it does say this is sad, but it doesn't forego bl- some certain amount of like, well, I don't know, shaping of not a blame, but saying like, this is, you, it is a creation. It, it's, I'm, you know, I don't, I'm think, it's, I don't think the movie, I know what you're trying to express. And I think it's one of the things that I like about, uh, that I, uh, really appreciate about this movie is that it's not so much so interested in placing blame as much as it's trying to show you how it if it's really placing is blame on anybody. It's placing blame on society. And I think it does that through, um, Ashley's character and through Jancy's grandmother. So, cause what it's showing is, um, you have Hallie who can't get anything right. Everything she does turns to shit. Um, she looks like garbage. Mooney's dirty. Um, she can't feed her. She can't take care of her. She has no moral compass. She has no discipline for Mooney. She has no anything. But then you have Ashley, who has a job, and who is feeding her kid, and who is feeding Hallie, and who is feeding Mooney, and who is feeding all these kids with food that she's taking from the thing. But she can still barely maintain her position, and she can still barely maintain her residence at this hotel. You have Jancy's grandmother, who is kind of a wise sage, you know, person who's been around the block, you know, representative of wisdom. So there's employment and there's wisdom. And she can't get it together either. Like yeah, she's, she's in the same situation as, as, as... She's as, also, like, eating junk food and all that constantly. These other half. So if it's anything, she's holding a mirror... If, if Sean Baker's trying to do anything vaguely political, it's that he's holding up a mirror to these people and saying, like, this poverty like this is endemic. Poverty like this is institutionalized. It's, it's not something you can just say, get a job... And then everything will be better and because there is jobs or like listen to your elders or like, um, you know, people of a certain age knew better because people don't do know better. But that doesn't mean that they are in any 
better shape to get the fuck out of where they are. And it's and it's smart in the sense of a lot of people, especially in nowadays age, would say like looking at the migrant issue of you know they're breaking the law and they're doing you know awful things to in order you know they're just going to bring crime and whatnot with them, and you see. You know, especially with Haley or, or even to some sort of degree, Ashley, you know, their, their drug use and like Haley's eventual prostitution. Yeah, they're, they're breaking the law. They're doing illegal things that society itself looks down upon. But it doesn't change the fact that this is a systemic issue that's been created by the world around them. And that the only recourse that they can possibly find is doing something that skews. Mm-hmm. Even though it's the complete wrong thing for them to do, like at least for Haley to do, like smoking marijuana or whatnot, whatever. Whatever, yeah, yeah. But still, a conservative viewpoint uh, would would be like, well, they have money for weed, but it's like they need that. They need some sort of escape. And, and you know, turning to prostitution when she has a daughter, her daughter in another room. When you're in that position, you know, it, it's it's Sean Baker doesn't say like, isn't this sad that she has to do this? He's like, this is the wrong thing to have happened, and this is the wrong thing to do. But there's no fucking other option. Well, it's like in, people always like to and say, it's like, people yeah. always like to say that about cigarettes too. Like, well, you have money for cigarettes, but like, pick a hab, like pick a thing. Like, it's really difficult, I'd imagine, to say I'm going to reestablish a certain kind of, um, you know moral barometer for myself when I don't have the money to pay for like to I don't have I don't have the ability to do any of this stuff when we're living in a hotel when we're eating stolen food when we're doing all this stuff like who am I to, how can I say to myself I would probably be better if I don't smoke like it's 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 a hard I think it's one of the you know another really interesting thing about this movie is that it portrays this life as one of hard truths and these people have to have all had to resign themselves to basic the basic facts of their life because there's no that's the other thing that this movie also portrays that there's no real way to get out of it like Ashley's not getting out of it she's getting out of it by forbidding Scooty to like play with Mooney anymore after they burned down that condominium you know what i mean like her only way is to say well i'm here so i have to maintain I'm going to tread I'm going to maintain water. a certain level of, of of moral superiority here. I'm going to tread water. I'm not going to sink. I'm not going to let me or my child sink further. But treading water here is with your still drowning like, up to your lip. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you're you're any if you give an inch, you're going all the way under. Um, and and these moments where like they do things that look morally ambiguous, like. You know, it it definitely like presents them smoking weed as kind of like a. Huh? But also, I mean, the, but it's like it presents them as like they're fucking. They need some sort of escape. Yeah, and that's yeah. what's good about this is the fact that it doesn't present some of these movies that kind of like linger into like Boys of the Hood or whatnot. Kind of present as like, oh, look at these things they're doing that kind of lean into not necessarily the ghetto man's not like lifestyle necessarily or the ghetto, but the the the, the endemically poor lifestyle. Um, this says like they fucking need an escape. Well, like when how- your life is constantly always hardships, fucking you're allowed and that's to have how- something, or you're gonna fucking blow your right. brains out, or and blow somebody else's brains and out. And that's how you justify too the kind of asshole personality that Mooney and her friends seem to have. You know what I mean? When they're like you know spying on that old lady who's like sunbathing nude, like at the you know um, at by the pool. You know what I mean? And they're, you know, they're just peeking over. And that's, I mean, I love that sequence of shots. I mean, it's so, I mean, Sean Baker in this movie, like, I didn't love Tan- Tangerine. Like, I appreciated what he was doing with Tangerine. But it wasn't, like, a movie that, like, had a big impact on me. 
He's it's gimmicky. Tangerine's really yeah, heavily gimmicky. He this is, is so not gimmicky. Cued in to the spirit of of what it means to be a kid. You know what I mean? How how life looks. I mean, he's got so many shots from like a distance when you watch those three kids just like walking through these paths or walking down the street and he shoots it at this distance to show how small they are. But their personality is like, well, this is my life and they own that life. And it's it's so sad also that they've decided at six that they're going to own this lifestyle. You know what I mean? That Like, this is my life and this is what I do. And when I'm going to so- try both tricks on the ice cream lady. Right. And when a kid leaves, um, you know, it's sad, but they don't, you know... I'm just thinking about when, you know, if I had a friend, I don't think I had, I don't know, a ton of friends, but like that would have moved away if I would have been. I'm your friend, Tom. No, no, but yeah, when you move away, I'm going to be bummed out. There you go. You've just had friends. You've had tons of friends move away. Are you bummed out about it? No. (laughs) They're lost. But these kids are less, they're even less bummed out than you are. And when they get the opportunity. My friend Alcohol is still here. (laughs) When they get the opportunity to take his toys, they're all just kind of like, okay, like, you know. It's just a part of the system. It's part. It's right. It's a, exactly. it's a terrible, awful cycle. Why it's so? I mean, that's one of the reasons why the movie is so sad. Is because these kids are so they're so aware of the cycle. Um, but while we're talking, other, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, you. I, I do want to cut away from the sadness for one part. Defoe talking to those birds, man. Well, that's. I was going to go right to Defoe. So yeah, yeah, yeah. bird it up. I think Defoe talking to those birds is one of the. Most warming, lovely scene. It's apparent. I think a lot of those ad libbed. Yeah, just, those birds weren't supposed to be there. Yep. And just the way he's saying, just talking to them like they're just people. Boys, good morning. Yeah, you, you gotta go home. There's cars coming through here. We got guests. No harm, no foul. No foul. There's a joke in there somewhere. All right, fellas. All right. Have a good day. Well, that's... I mean, in Defoe... Just showing that compassion, too. Still, like, that's, like... So exemplifies the compassion. I think they even... Did they choose that scene during his... I think they did. I think that was his Oscar shot, was that scene? For me, his Oscar shot was... Is the end of the movie. When they've come to take... Mooney away mm. and he's there and you know he go he goes up and he's like what's you know what's the he's always he's always around he's always wants to know what the problem is he's even protect he's protective of them he doesn't want his you know people being harassed or abused or anything he understands the position that they're in but he's understands that they're still people and they don't deserve to be um coddled treated that but you know they also coddled or treated they don't be deserve to be treated like shit you yeah. know i mean he's not gonna he's not gonna stand for that either um, but he knows at the end of that movie that they've, they've got to take her. You know what I mean? That they're doing essentially the right thing, that Hallie has lost the ability to really manage the situation. And he, you know, looks in the room and he turns away and he just kind of walks back down to the office. And it was the thing in my mind that cemented itself as like, this is, this is a significant movie to me. This is not... Um, this is gonna. This is, that face that he makes, that turn away, that moment is gonna stick with me for a long time because that's. I mean, isn't that the choice? I mean, you're. 
I think I'm a little more liberal than you are. We're different kind of liberals. We're different kind of liberals. We're going to do a special episode on who's more liberal. (laughs) No. Um, I feel like a lot of times as a liberal, um, I feel like I do that same thing. I I can get really exercised about something, but then like when it counts... Yeah, I can turn. I can. I can also turn away from it. You know what I mean? Because I understand that there's not a lot I can do about the situation anymore. It's kind of moved beyond my ability to be like. All I can do is be pissed off about it. And who's that going to help? But it's also no, gonna, nobody. What's great about it's not gonna too, help anybody. It's still, you know, the way he presents it, it's going to eat away at him. Well, that, that's what. I, well, that's what I mean. And so that's why this movie is wonderful because it, these are more liberal than me. It's not. I. Well, You're never. progressive. I'm liberal. Oh, okay. 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 Um, I am a soup. <laughs> it's gonna you it, because it presents very real, very complicated um, emotional ramifications for having witnessed or played a part or was involved in this in this system. You know what I mean? It's one of the reasons why I can kind of understand what like Brett Easton Ellis says when he ta- always talks about how he hates like who's the liberal- most liberal of all of us. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's a super liberal. Um, when he hates like liberal message movies and like um, he hates, you know, their testifying nature and how they're so preachy and all this other shit. And I totally get that because there's not a lot of, there's not always a lot of, um, um, genuine human emotions involved in that. It's a, it's a, it's very scripted. It's like this happened. I'm supposed to feel this way about it. It's. I listen to his. If you get a chance to listen to one of his most recent episodes when he does uh, a Do review, I still pay for him. It's a dollar fifty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to pay the dollar fifty. He's 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 an influence. Um, we talked about boy, uh, the new movie Boy Erased, uh, with Lucas Hedges and Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe, and how written directed by. By Joel Future five-time Academy Award winner Joel Edgerton. Oh, God. Please, please, no. It's probably going to happen. I'm going to have a hard enough time with this year. Um, where everything is very telegraphed and all the emotions are very manipulated. And even though Lucas Hedges you know, is supposedly great in it, um, the script still can't help but um, hew towards the real easy stereotype. You know what I mean? And, well, in and comparison, Green, Bo- and no, Green it's Book funny does too. the same thing. Green Book does. It, Green Book is working with a really complicated set of emotions. They're doing, um, you know, Viggo Mortensen, Mahershala Ali are doing really good, complicated work trying to convey these emotions. And then all of a sudden, the script has uh, Mahershala Ali ask Viggo Mortensen the same question that Vanellope Van Schweetz asks Wreck It Ralph, and Ralph breaks the internet. If I can't do you be, want to do slaughter race? If, no, she says, if I can't be a driver anymore, who am I? And Mahershala Ali is done. Surely, as if I'm not black enough, I'm, I'm not white enough, who am I? You know what I mean? And that's why this movie, that's why something like The Florida Project comes as kind of a revelation to me. Because Sean Baker doesn't ever drift towards this um, hackneyed manipulative dialogue or these ha- hackneyed manipulative ideas. He lets... This the very real situation and the tangerine, very realistic situation. Tangerine did that too, which sure, is good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tangerine just is gimmicky. Tangerine's like insane. You know what's yeah. Of, you know what's happening. You know yeah. you know what the the reason this movie is you know 
you why you just meant like it, the yeah, way yeah. it looks too. Yeah, oh that's what it, and that's, that's why what I thought talking. was nice about what this is shot on thirty five millimeter. Yeah. So like it's shot like a, a traditional and like that works. Like there's definitely a lot of static shots. As you were talking about with the establishment of like the the capture of youth and I think the final scene is sixteen or eight. It's iPhone. Is it? It's iPhone? Yeah. Um which is great because it's 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 Well it had to be an iPhone. It's portrayed like a dream sequence. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's it is a, you don't, you, it it's is probably not ha- it's not happening. No. I mean, we could both. I mean, a lot of people would argue: Are they actually running off? No, they're not. No, they're not running off. But I feel like I think she, it ends with her crying. I think it's one of the things that we uh, talked about a little bit already is that the kids are trying to maintain their innocence. And I think one of the things that we learned through this whole movie is that maybe one of the ways that they're able to maintain this innocence is that even though we only see them running away the one time, who knows how often they run away to Disney World? You know what I mean? There could be infinite numbers of times in this movie where we're not seeing the inside of Mooney's head and she's fucking gone. You know what I mean? She's got Jancy's hand and they're running. And they're running and that's the only way she can do it. It's the only place she can go because anywhere else is the fucking worst. You know what I mean? No. Um, but it's just, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's fascinating and it's heartbreaking, but it's also served as a kind of rallying cry for myself. To want more things from... Or it signaled my change away from a certain kind of movie into, a, I feel like, a more emotionally genuine, emotionally present type of movie. I'm I'm no longer going to accept the easy... Like, the easy sell. And I think one thing that should be mentioned, too, and I hate using this term often, but it sometimes is appropriate. The, import, uh, the important film... The film you have to see. Mm. Um, last year, a lot of people kind of said that was three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I don't think that's necessarily true. It's, I liked it. I, liked I don't it. know how I like important it. That's not important. This is absolutely an important film. I think from socially, not, not necessarily socially, but emotionally feeling how endemic and systemic, like, poverty can be i mean it's hard it's a hard watch it's not i mean even though like, no it's, you know, it's you not it's not fun like it's not no. fun watching many parts. and it feels it the feels, only fun like you have to have you know the eyes of a little child in parts just to stomach it it feels and it feels really long and it's and that can be the lack of soundtrack like 89 minutes or right something. but it feels like it takes forever because every scene is a punch in the fucking throat you know what i mean like no scene goes except for the duck scene but even or geese but even that scene is tough because it comes you you want all of these you want everyone's life to be humorously talking to the ducks you know what i mean and it just can't be and even willem defoe even bobby who's got is the closest to having something like that even his can't be because he has to go upstairs sometimes and watch a little girl who he's grown close to be taken away from his mother who he's also grown close to and a little girl is gonna have to like sit in a tub and with brilliant sound design you can just barely barely hear Mm -hmm. what's going on outside um I thought I, one of the things I love about this podcast. I think we we talk about our podcast a lot. Um, is that we is that we found out people from Belgium, <laughs> Belgium, Belgium love us. We make really accidental good decisions, and that's accidental. Yeah, I know, and that's accidental towards doing decisions. our Lynn Ramsey episode. In the sense that Sean Baker was very obviously paying homage to Radcatcher 
in the condominium scenes, right? I mean, oh yeah, those right. those are just. I, I actually think. How did I not recognize that? You could do like a shot for. I would love to do like a shot for shot comparison to some of him. So are we saying of, that Sean Baker and Lars Van Trier have now paid tribute to that? Maybe. Maybe. Welcome, Lynn Ramsey, man. Online film critics realize that she's fucking awesome. She's very good. She got the best director nod. Oh, good. Um, but that's it was one of the things when I watched this movie the first time when I when I watched it after that's what's yeah it's great like we're watching Shape of Water you, yeah. I was watching it and I was like whoa they're doing Ratcatcher holy fucking well, shit well that's the great thing about this podcast is like you know me and you both think we've watched a lot of movies and like reset the backbone of this podcast against the fact that we've seen thousands of movies each and now we're starting we're realizing how little still we've seen when we see homages to movies we hadn't seen before. Right, and that's um, we can't prove it. Maybe it's not an homage, but it looks just like it. Yeah, Sean Baker writes us, and it's what do you know, guys? It's an homage to Withering Heights, (laughs) and it um, the Ray Fiennes version. And I think it's, I think it's great. If it is an homage, it's great because it kind of means the same thing. It's a kind of weird freedom, but it's also these kids are in houses that they don't have and their instinct is not to kind of live in it their instinct is not to play house their instinct is to destroy it you know what i mean their instinct is to kind of move through each one not spending more than like a couple seconds in each one and like you know kick a wall down or or you know and that and that 100 percent like promotes that that idea i was talking about just how systemic it yeah, is yeah you never think they never psychologically think, right psychologically like psychologically and emotionally, and just a, a natural—not natural—that that is the incorrect word—the nurtured sort of idea. Yeah. Well, just like in Ratcatcher, they never even bother to think that they're going to get there. So there's no value placed on like having been there. So that's just the fact when it burns down, it sucks. But they're not just like, you know, what are they going to do about it? Nothing it doesn't mean anything to them. But I imagine to Hallie and to Ashley. You know, their kids burning down a condominium complex must represent a kind of, you know, added shame that like they especially didn't Ashley. I mean, we know for sure. For, for sure, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's the we're gonna go. We're gonna we're gonna hang out in number in 2017 for next week. Um, but that's, that's <laughs> not my for me. We're gonna go to 11 years before that for me. But we'll make some time travel noises. <laughs> we'll sit on a washing machine. That's your. That's your little uh, hint. There you go. Thank you for that hint. <laughs> 2006 washing machines. What are we talking about? Yeah, send us a... We'll, we'll give you... Brave a, Little Toaster 3. <laughs> Brave Little Toaster was almost on my list. Really? Yeah. That could, uh, I really liked that movie as a kid. We can do li- To Live and Die in L.A. and Brave Little Toaster on a bonus episode. <laughs> so there you go. With, with some Manhunter sprinkled in. Yep. Imagine Brave Little Toaster. If like the blender... Was there, was there a blender in there or... Right? Was there's there? a lamp. There's a toaster. Uh, no, no, a not vacuum. The, the vacuum. The vacuum is what I was thinking of. The vacuum with with mirrors just there's jammed a, into his a eyes. Electric blanket. Stephen Lang burning on a wheelchair. There you go. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Well, you could talk to us about other people being burned on wheelchairs at twitter.com. Slash film pivotal, which we're now actually posting on. Recently, you. Yeah, I think I we're gonna. I, if it was up to me, I think we would abandon the Instagram account and just stick with the Twitter. 
Because yeah. I tried to I post will, to Instagram and I couldn't do it. I, I will post spreading. I'm going to post that 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 uh, Vox Lux image. I think our Instagram will be sporadic. Well, wait. I guess you can post pictures to Twitter, huh? That's what I did with the beers last week. Yeah. I forgot about that. We're gonna yeah, we're gonna abandon our Instagram. Fuck some, Instagram. Yeah, you can you can look at you can look at a a, a phantom thread page on <laughs> Instagram. Uh, dot com slash pivotal film, but you can follow us or speak to us at pivotal film at twitter dot com slash film pivotal, or you can go to pivotalfilm.com dot com and see links to where you can subscribe to us and to get uh, links to where you can listen to us. In and the next two weeks, list. I'm going to be getting a computer. By the way, finally, <gasps> you are. Yeah, I finally found a computer I want, and it's on special. And I will actually sit down because I don't have a lot to do during the winters, and I get snow days off i'm gonna start writing essays I'm gonna, not, submit, I'm gonna submit essays we better not have any fucking snow days mario we, we you better not have just made us have a bunch of fucking snow days. <laughs> i'm gonna be so mad if you jinx well because you have snow kids huh. um yes you just have just just you know what you're you sit your kids down show them the first 30 minutes of tree of life i already have on repeat i already have shown them the on first repeat of tree of life. forever they liked it and then show them ghost story they would probably like that too. Um, they would probably laugh at the at the ghost conversation. Um, or you can see links at pivotalfilm.com. You can see uh, lists of the beers that we drank and lists of the movies that are on our uh, you know our pivotal film lists. Or you can send us emails at uh, pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com to tell us to go fuck ourselves, or to tell us that you like us, or to just say hello. But don't tell us to go fuck each other because we're not going to do that. Yeah. Or in uh, apparently. Also, you should um, be rating us at places. We, do we have any ratings? We yeah. don't care if you rate us. Do we're we gonna a, do, do we have any ratings? I don't think so. Oh man, um, we're gonna do the podcast anyway, yeah, whether you rate us it. or not. Like, we're, so we're stubborn motherfuckers. Yeah, I just enjoyed doing this podcast. So um, I have, I like having things to do on Thursdays. <laughs> Thursdays are a dark abyss for me to do nothing. Yes. What would I rather be doing? Playing a video game? Like doing another run of Dead Cells? Or, or sitting here? Not sitting another here. thing that you could do, Mario, is to watch a movie. Drink a beer. And I'll talk to you next week. I like how random.